We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. All righty, welcome everyone into another episode of Our Stories, a KCSN podcast on women's sports and Kansas City. I'm Arlia Campbell here with an incredible guest today. She is the first woman to ever get a full ride scholarship at the University of Kansas and one of the few coaches to ever take a mid-major team to the Division I Final Four, and she did it right here in Kansas City's backyard. I'm, of course, talking about Cheryl Burnett. Welcome to the podcast. Well, hello, and thank you for that wonderful uh, reminiscing of the past. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I, uh, I want to get, of course, to the incredible run you had um, all the way to the Final Four, but first, I, I want to start with your time at KU, could you take me to what brought you to, uh, to Lawrence and, and how you got the first Fulbright scholarship there? Well, it's very interesting because I grew up a Missouri Tiger. Uh, all, oh, of my okay. all of my extended family are rabid MU Tigers. <laughs> and I also grew up one going with my dad to the hill to watch football. Uh, but at the same time, during that era, uh, and I always say I'm so lucky to be a Title IX baby. Um, graduated from high school in 76. Of course, Title IX passed in 72. Has everything to do with every opportunity that I've ever received is because of my age and that era of opportunity. Uh, one of the Kansas assistant coaches came to a summer camp because she had to add to her salary because she was unpaid during the summer at that time. Sheila Mormon was uh, an incredible player with the Raytown Piperettes. Hmm, uh, was yeah. an assistant Man, coach at KU. Uh, there yeah. was only really one camp at that point in time, really in the state of Missouri. Colleges didn't have camps for girls yet. Tom Roberts Girls Basketball School in Northern uh, Missouri in Canton, Missouri. From there, Coach Mormon uh, recruited me uh, to Kansas, uh, recruited some by Joanne Rutherford at Mizzou, but uh, Coach Mormon was very, very active in my recruitment. And I always tell this part of the story because Leanne Wilcox, married name now Plutnicki, from Kansas City, Missouri, went to St. Teresa's. 
I met at that basketball camp. We actually went on our campus visits together to Kansas. She was offered the first full ride scholarship to Kansas, turned them down, got the first full ride scholarship at Kansas State. I was second in line, but it's okay because <laughs> I got the first full ride scholarship to KU. There you go. That is incredible. And that would have been, so you said you graduated from high school in 76 or started high yes. school in 76? Yes. My graduated. first playing season would have been 76, 77 at Kansas. Yeah, I think, uh, so I, I wrote my master's thesis on Title IX and spent about a year doing uh, a history series that you were a part of, which I'm very grateful for. Oh. And uh, I think uh, uh, something a lot of people don't really understand is that the switch didn't flip overnight in 1972 when that oh. signature dried. It took four years for a woman to get a full Oh, it, it's project. still ongoing. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The opportunities so, did not come immediately, but at the same time, law was supporting these opportunities. So that made a huge difference. Right, right. Um, so I actually want to hop back a step. What were your opportunities like growing up, you know, in your elementary and middle school years before you got to high school? I love that you asked that because a lot of that goes back to my mother, Shirley Burnett. Uh, uh, and of course, my father was an incredible fan of athletics, but my mom is the one that had the summer rec program in Centralia, the new high school basketball coach for boys. There was none for girls. When I was young, hired my mom um, because she had started the first softball program at Centralia, Missouri, my hometown. And because she had already started the first softball uh, program team, uh, Coach Inlow there from Centralia, who coached uh, varsity boys at the time and then varsity girls later for years, did both, hired mom. So she was the one at Summer Rec. She was the one who played in the late 40s at Centralia, but they dropped high school basketball. So guess who went to the school board to ask for girls basketball to be reinstated, but Shirley Burnett and a lot of opportunities arose uh, from my mom's perseverance. I absolutely love that. I, I feel like so much of the women's sports movement was done at the grassroots level by women for women through, you know, things like that, the woman going to the school board and stepping in and, and that changed your life. I imagine forever. Did that spark? It, your oh, it really did. Of course, yeah. you know, I was out at summer rec playing with all the guys and, and some of the girls. Um, but that being able to have a high school program, you know, when I was a freshman, we played six games. We thought those were the best six in all of anything, uh, wearing, uh, cut off jean shorts and the boys uh, practice jerseys, but Coach Inlow did it right. He uh, fulfilled a full schedule uh, by my junior and senior years, and uh, it's been going ever since. So you get to the University of Kansas in 76, uh, and you're playing for the legendary coach, Marion Washington. How, uh, how'd those years go? Well, uh, you know, Coach Washington, I always say, was so far ahead of her time. Um, you know, I didn't even know all of her history till fairly recently when I go to the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame when Jackie Stiles is being inducted and run into Coach Washington because she had been one of the coaches with the Olympic team that was being uh, honored at that particular Hall of Fame and getting to hear what all the rest of the world was saying about 
Marion Washington really struck me. I mean, struck me hard that I'd had the opportunity to play for this woman that was renowned and still, of course, renowned where she gave us opportunities uh, to travel, to play against really the best in the country. Of course, at that time, Adrian Mitchell Newell, her married name, was on the team, recently got her jersey retire retired. And then, of course, Lynette uh, Woodard uh, came in uh, a year later. And, of course, Wood was a four-time uh, Kodak All-American, uh, one of the few in history, the um, captain of the Olympic team under Pat Summit. Uh, and uh, we really had some wonderful times uh, at Kansas playing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Coach Washington getting inducted. Uh, she was the first black woman to be an assistant coach on an Olympic team. And, uh, you know, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing her last year. And she said um, when she'd run into, you know, struggles and, and issues and stuff, she was always wondering, is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm black or is it both? So when you mentioned. Can you imagine at mm -hmm. that point in time being at the University of Kansas, a black woman who's six one, uh, her her playing experience uh, internationally uh, was already in her background. She understood what kind of players it took. I really think she's one of the first to go nationally in recruitment because uh, back in the day, so many uh, institutions just recruited locally. I mean, we had players from everywhere around the United States because she knew she had to go look for players, and she did. And you were one of them. Uh, and uh, this is also, I think, another thing um, I learned kind of when I was, because I played basketball at the University of Wyoming, and I really didn't know anything about Title IX um, as someone who benefited from it, you know, my entire life, which kind of kickstarted this, this research project, I guess, I've been doing for the last couple of years. Um, and a big thing I didn't know was for the first 10 years after Title IX passed, the NCAA didn't sponsor women's sports. So you guys were playing in the AIAW at the time. Um, so what were those years like playing in that league and, and playing alongside Leno Woodard? I mean, goodness gracious. Well, it's, it's really interesting because during those days, we were playing anybody and everybody because there was not an NCAA. I mean, one of the best teams we played was Phillips University out of Oklahoma. You know, they, I don't even know what they are now, but at the time it was like an NAIA school. So it didn't really matter what level you were playing because everybody was kind of even in a way because there wasn't a lot of scholarships. People just went to get an education, went wherever they were going to go. Uh, there wasn't a conference. We weren't in a conference originally. Finally, at some point, uh, the Big Eight picked up women's basketball. Um, so there were a lot of differences at that time. And in fact, uh, I was just talking to Jane Schrader. I ended up working at the University of Illinois under Jane Schrader, who'd been at Kansas State for many, many, many years as an assistant coach. And I had to call her and say, now in 1982, I was coaching with you at Illinois, and that was the first year, the only year, the AIAW had a national championship, and the NCAA had a national championship for women's basketball. We went to the first round, the NCAA tournament. How did we decide if we were going AIAW or the NCAA? So it, it was quite an interesting and challenging time. And at the same time, playing with Lynette Woodard, I mean – Getting the opportunity to play with Wood, we called her Wood, um, you know, it was incredible. 
she was six one. I still think she is one of the best athletes and players to ever play the game. Her athleticism, her ability to handle the basketball, her ability to score. Um, it was a pleasure to be her teammate. She was also a great student and she was also a, a very respectable human being with a really great integrity. So it was a pleasure. Yeah. Do you have any favorite memories from your playing career in, in Lawrence? Well, I don't know if this is a, and, and we're talking about Lynette. So I have to share just this memory. I thought that's where you were going, but please, yeah. You know, I mean, she was so fast that there was one game where our point guard was bringing the ball down the floor and Lynette was coming behind her. Lynette actually stole the ball from our own point guard <laughs> to take it down to dribble and score. It's like, is that what a steal in the stats? So she just stole <laughs> it from her own teammate, but just from behind because of her speed. Um, you know, we were 30 and eight uh, for a couple of years, uh, my junior and senior year. Um, we got to play again against some of the best. Uh, I don't know if it's a favorite memory. I can't say it's a favorite, but I had gotten to go in 1976 to central Missouri to watch the 1976 Olympic team when I was 16 and Nancy Lieberman was 16. So lo and behold, Old Dominion is on our schedule. I guarded Nancy Lieberman and she scored her 2000th point over <laughs> my extended hand. And she could have scored at will, but when it was time for her to get 2000, she simply brought the ball down, rose up at the free throw line and shot it over my hand. There you go. Part of the history books. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, that's awesome. So so what after your uh, after your playing career, when did you get into coaching and kind of what was your thought process on making that career move? Uh, actually, I was on my way to Italy to play overseas uh, when um, somehow I found out that at the University of Illinois, where Jane Schrader was, a graduate assistantship opened up. I always knew I wanted to coach. I mean, from the time, basically, I knew girls and women could coach. Um, so when that opened up, uh, I decided I wasn't going to Italy. I had also gotten drafted by the New Jersey gyms uh, in the league. Uh, Sharon Farah, being a Missourian and also a great Missouri Tiger, uh, I knew she was in the league. People weren't getting paid yet, so... I forego my playing career to have the opportunity to play against, or I'm sorry, to coach for um, Jane Schrader, again, who'd been at Kansas State for years and years. I idolized their program. They were so disciplined. They were so defensive oriented that I knew that I could not pass up the opportunity to be in her program. Yeah. Yeah. Here's another one jumping back for a second. I know we talked about Title IX passing in 72 and you were there four years later. Uh, how were things in terms of equity between the women's program and the men's program at that point? Oh, there was no equity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But I will have to say, I think that coach Washington did such a great job of shielding us, you know, as aware of those kinds of things that I certainly am now. And uh, after coaching for so many, many years of trying to take some strides in all of those kinds of things, I might not have known it except for the couple of times where we'd be practicing and all of a sudden the men come on and, you know, they're shooting layups, we're shooting layups, they're, 
shooting over us at the same end of the floor. And we're kind of going, what? I think we have a conflict of timing (laughs) here. But other than that, you know, we knew they were traveling by plane. Honestly, at the time, we didn't care that we were in an 18 passenger van with all of our suitcases on top. We just appreciated that we were getting to play. Yeah. Yeah. And you have given so many other women the ability to to get that experience of playing uh, all the way to Southwest Missouri State, which is now Missouri State. So how did your coaching road leave you that lead you there? Well, after uh, coaching at University of Illinois, I'd actually called uh, Joanne Rutherford at the University of Missouri, who had been there, of course, a legendary time uh, at Mizzou. And she said, well, Cheryl, we don't have a job opening, but there's an opening at Southwest Missouri State. So I go and interview with uh, Valerie Goodwin, her married name, Colbert. And again, Valerie was one of the most heralded players out of Wayland Baptist in her career. And I interviewed for the job. She literally hired me on the spot. And uh, I started as an assistant um, at Southwest Missouri State to get back home, closer to home. Then Valerie took the Oklahoma job. And that was after three years. And that was when Oklahoma dropped women's basketball. Yeah. Valerie had been a coach there, I think, one year when she left. I was blessed to get hired uh, at Southwest Missouri State and then, of course, coached there as an assistant for Valerie three years and then 15 years as head coach. So what year did you take over the head coaching position? 87. 87. Okay. And you guys had a Final Four run before the 2001 run with Jackie We Stiles, did. Right? We yeah. did. Thank you for bringing that up. Uh, in 91, <laughs> 92, I had been at Southwest Missouri State for five years. Uh, really, in the first uh, couple years, didn't win a lot of games. Uh, we were transitioning. Uh, Southwest Missouri State had been Division Two prior to me being an assistant for Val. Uh, we really upgraded our schedule, really took the lumps. But uh, in five years, we were at the Final Four in 91, 92. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, I've talked to Jackie Styles on this podcast and for my 9 to 50 series, but um, she said watching that team make it in that season kind of gave her the inspiration that like, hey, this is possible. We can do that here. I um, I, I think that team uh, is what opened us up to get a player like Jackie Styles and uh, many other players that were also her teammates and uh, the teams in between. Uh, getting to watch that on national TV uh, really made an impact in our program. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect segue because I love the recruiting story of Jackie Stiles. Can you tell me how she ended up in Springfield with you guys? I love to tell it because, (laughs) uh, you know, we tried to establish our program off of hard work. Uh, Not only do our players feel like they worked as hard, if not harder, in the weight room, uh, uh, in uh, three-mile runs, and on the court. Uh, but our coaches also work very hard. Um, so I had an assistant coach by the name of Lynette Robinson who went to a um, really an unheralded event in the middle of Kansas watching some other players. And instead of going to lunch like literally every other coach did, Lynette went into the gym of fifth graders and 
So while she was out working everyone in a gym of fifth graders, she saw this little ponytailed fifth grader uh, lighting it up. And she turned to the gentleman sitting next to her and said, because of course there's no rosters. Who is that ponytailed kid? It happened to be her dad. Now don't have the alarm bells go off. It was not illegal to talk to her father at that point. You could talk to them up until eighth grade. But her dad said, well, that happens to be my daughter. And so Lynette said, well, we run a very intense elite camp. And we did. We had players going to Yukon and Tennessee. And, and if they were good, we tried to get them to come to camp. Of course, we wanted to recruit them, but we just wanted to run a great camp. Jackie was the youngest player at camp. Everybody else was juniors and seniors, very highly recruited nationally. She made it to the championship of the one-on-one, of -on -one, made it as an all-star at a really, really good elite camp. Fifth grade. The rest is history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God, that's to say the least. Fifth grade, they spotted her. That's incredible. And obviously she went on to become one of the greatest players of all time. She broke the NCAA scoring record. She held that for, I think, 17 years before Kelsey Plum uh, took it. But uh, how about Kelsey Plum and all of the WNBA games last night? I mean, yeah, whoa. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I hope everyone is watching those because, oh man, are those incredible. Fun to watch. And, and yeah. I will have to say, I had to go back right before this podcast because we played Colorado State and Becky Hammond. Mm. Jackie's sophomore year and I had to go back and look I had no idea how each one of them scored yeah. we lost they beat us by over 10 at Colorado State uh, in the NCAA tournament Becky had 30 as a senior Jackie had 28 as a sophomore so I, uh, watching Becky was a pleasure knowing that we had played them at, at some point in time in history Hey, sorry to interrupt, but I need to tell you about our friends at DraftKings. The wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is officially live in Kansas just in time for football season. That means betting legally on same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, and more anytime and anywhere across the Sunflower State. To celebrate, DraftKings is giving new Kansas customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on anything and get $200 in free bets instantly. Everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings early win promotion. Get up seven, you win. Bet on any pro football team of your choice, and if your team leads by seven points at any point in the game, you get paid instantly, even if your team loses. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KCSN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. That's code KCSN only at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. Must be 21 years or older. Physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Moneyline bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility terms at DraftKings.com slash Kansas on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. Now, let's get back to the show. What I would pay to see that game live. That is unbelievable a lot of scoring back and forth yeah, yeah. uh so that would have been in fort collins right 
It was, yes. Yeah, we. Uh, I played at Wyoming, so they were our rivals, and so I played there a couple times. Um, so take me to Jackie's commitment, because one thing is, like, she wasn't this underrated recruit that popped off in college. She had major, major offers. Um, well, and that's did you think- partly, partly our fault, because... <laughs> yeah. We urged Jackie to go to a USA basketball event. Uh, She wasn't being highly recruited. Now, certainly in-state and the region knew all about her. But the recruitment of Jackie just went out the roof after we urged her to go on and go to this uh, USA basketball event for her just to develop. After that, Everybody recruited her, and I always laugh when her mom and dad tell the story. They literally had 21 or 22 official home visits in like 23 days. Absolutely mm-hmm. crazy in Claflin, Kansas. And Jackie actually signed the Yukon letter of intent, of which, you know, she says everybody in the world wanted her to go somewhere else. But she knew her heart was still with Southwest Missouri State in Springfield. And bless her heart, she signed the letter of intent. I'm not sure I acted that excited until we got it in the office, which made it official. Certainly we were happy that she signed it, but you (laughs) never know what's going to happen with the letter of intent. So our staff absolutely went bonkers when we got the signed copy into our office a couple days later. Yeah, I need to see it in my hands before. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so take me to those four years and um, how special that team was. Because obviously, we know the ending of this, which is you take Southwest Missouri State all the way to the final four and just an absolutely magical run. Well, I have to say that group of seniors, uh, along with Jackie, I mean, they started talking about a level of success their freshman year. Um, I didn't join in that conversation. In fact, if I ever heard it, I'd say one game at a time. But by the time they were seniors, now, this is back when we could almost do a little bit of everything in terms of, I'll give you an example. Uh, Now, later, the NCAA put real limits on this. But, you know, when they were sophomores, we had 30 turnovers in a tournament where we got off the plane at like 11 o'clock at night. And we said, and they love to tell these stories. (laughs) We're going into the locker room and instead of here's what we're doing tomorrow, it's put your practice gear back on. And that (laughs) night at 11 o'clock after getting home from that game, we ran one sprint for every turnover. Now, again, those things you can't do anymore. But I'm telling you, those kind of moments are the ones they say impacted them to the level that they knew they weren't going to turn the ball over anymore, but just stepping stones to their senior year where the way they gelled, I think, was miraculous. And I've said, and some people might not know me, but I'm the kind of coach that we can always get better at something. And even out of a win, we're going to try to get better at something the next day. The last, except for the Purdue game at the Final Four, the three games prior to that, I think that team played 
as well as any team I've ever had and maybe better than they potentially could play. Mm. So what was as your, a uh, unit? Yeah. 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 What was your coaching style? How did you get them to that, that point? I know a lot of it was probably player led as well, but you well, have so much I laugh. Well, I laugh because our conditioning is somewhat legendary. <laughs> uh, you know, that particular team coaches would ask me a variety of different things. I mean, coaches from Tara to Pat, to, they'd look at our team and go, how did you get those kids in such incredible condition? So conditioning, we like to control what we could control. We could control how strong we were in the weight room. We could control that we could play 40 minutes because we wanted to press and we wanted to run what's called scramble defense. We wanted to add half court, make sure that our defense, uh, player defense, man-to-man -man pressure, we didn't want people to pass where they wanted to pass. We wanted to be more effort-driven. And then offensively, we just wanted to make sure that we could break down uh, anybody as good as they could be with our screening and being able to read screens and uh, break a team down defensively. Um, so, yeah, I kind of laugh because I think uh, I've told uh, many administrators, even recently, uh, I don't think I could get away with everything that we used to do because our kids worked harder than uh, they, they earned the right to continue to play. Yeah, you had me at a press the entire game. That is <laughs> the worst team to play against. But um, how, uh, so take me through like a conditioning session. What would you guys do in like the preseason to, to get? Well, in our like philosophy was, you know, we back then, we couldn't do hardly anything with our players in the summer. Now, now you can. Mm -hmm. So it literally was up to them to progress. I think players and athletes are made in the summer. So we had an incentive program. It was everything from squats, bench, power clean, uh, three miles, um, a ball handling workout, a shooting workout. And then when they came in, we tested them on everything. And if they passed all of their tests physically and skill-wise, then they got out of the first week of conditioning and we called it remedial week, and I can say this now because they're not in the room, but they called it hell week. I was fine with that. So if someone graduated out of hell week because they made everything, they had committed themselves in the summer. And all the rest of them that week who were not in shape because they didn't make it, they worked extremely, extremely hard. But they were all very self-motivated for that reason. Sure. Yeah. So what, uh, like what split of the team would have to take part in hell week versus which, how many? Like, oh, very few players yeah. made it fully out. Oh, really? And yeah. again, a, a Jackie style story. Jackie was the, you know, we tried to tell players what it was going to be like, but they really didn't quite understand it until they got there. Yeah. Jackie tested out of everything. She was not going to have to go through that week as a freshman. That had never happened before. We had never had a freshman get out of the first week. Well, you know what she did? She didn't want to miss the first week. Yep. She didn't, didn't want to miss the camaraderie with her team. So she came and did everything with our team. 
she didn't she didn't get out of it Man, she made yeah. herself go through it that's the kind nice. of athlete she was yeah i think if you could describe her worth work ethic uh, in a story, it might be that one. Also, oh, the uh, a thousand makes a day story from high school. I grew up, you know, playing basketball in the Kansas City area. So that was like folklore. You know, I can't tell you how many club coaches have told us uh, Jackie Styles making a thousand shots a day. Did she do that at, at Southwest or did you guys? Well, here's the story I want to tell you. I, she's yeah. the only player that I tried to get out of the gym. You know, every other kid, it's like, well, you know, come do some shooting between classes. Uh, make sure you're there early for practice, late for practice. Um, you know, Jackie, I was trying to get out of the gym saying, now, Jackie, you know, our two hour practice, you have to be prime. You can't have spent three hours in the gym prior to practice. I want to see those two hours of our actual practice where you're as fresh as you could be. Well, Little did I know she was getting the midnight security guard to the secondary gym called McDonald Arena and getting him to let her in at midnight to do her shooting regime, which then made the Springfield paper. And I was afraid the security guard was going to lose his job yeah. for that being made public. Oh, but no. that's that's who she was. She wanted to get her shooting workouts in. Yeah. Yeah. This feels like a good time to plug the, uh, the Jackie Styles story. Have you watched it yet? Oh, I yeah. have. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, it was premiered in Springfield. Um, okay. you know, Sherry Cole from Oklahoma who Jackie worked for uh, yep. a couple of years ago, uh, came in, uh, her high school coach yet two of them came in. It was premiered in Springfield. So I got an early showing before it was released. Yeah, yeah, it's a must watch. Uh, and you can watch it. We got it. Amazon Prime, Apple TV, YouTube, Google Play, all those things. And you said, I think you can order it on Walmart. You can get a physical copy as well. You can. You can order it from Walmart uh, with a, uh, a DVD. Um, and of course, I did both. I got it off Amazon Prime, which I think right now it's the number one sports uh, movie documentary on Amazon Prime. So that's pretty cool, but cool. You, I also yeah. got a hard copy uh, that I want to donate uh, to our special collections library at Missouri State, so historically it, it stays there. Yeah, gosh, I love that. Um, the late 90s and early 2000s, I think, are such an important time for women's basketball. You know, looking back from even pre-Title IX, there were a bunch of kind of milestone springboards you can think of, and, you know, in the late 90s, you had the Team USA won a gold medal. Um, the, the first WNBA draft was in 97. You guys are in uh, early 2000s, 2001s when you made the final four. And this was like, I think ESPN did an article calling it Jackie mania. Like all eyes in the country were on your team. Take me to that final four and just kind of the excitement surrounding, uh, you know, that Cinderella run. Well, I'll go back a step. And if I can come back to that, but you mentioned Please, the yeah. Olympic team, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we had been to the final four in 91, 92, the Olympic team was touring America. I think they went to 16 sides. Don't hold me to that number, but we were one of them. So mm. we got to play against the Olympic team and certainly our fan base. Uh, you know, we were leading the country uh, in women's basketball attendance. I always laugh and say, nope, wasn't Tennessee, wasn't UConn. It was Southwest Missouri State led the nation in women's basketball attendance. So wow. the uh, Olympic team came to our place to play, which 
I mean, what a privilege that was. And then uh, certainly we had the fan base uh, to back it up for a decade. And then uh, during the uh, Jackie Styles, the second Final Four, we were basically selling out every game, 8,000 or more, uh, filling the seats. Uh, and that, that fan base really helped propel us because we'd go – on the road in the Missouri Valley Conference, and we literally would have a thousand people there uh, supporting us. And that does help uh, a team on the road to garner a win. Yeah, for sure. So what what contributed to that fanfare? Was it the community of Springfield and just kind of who your team was? or what, what Absolutely. Do you think My answer to that is uh, uh, Valerie Goodwin Colbert, under her regime, a group was started by Dr. Mary Jo Wynn, our longtime administrator, um, called the Fast Break Club. And the Fast Break Club were women, mostly women, not all women, some men uh, from the Springfield area who were uh, CEOs of companies, uh, advertising executive, marketing executives, some of the best and brightest from our community got together to promote women's athletics, but certainly uh, women's basketball, and they helped build a fan base. Uh, I was just lucky enough to be one of those coaches to jump on their bandwagon because they were setting the precedence of how to do it as a support group uh, in women's basketball during that era. And then that fan base just kept building. The 91-92 team had... Every single player but two had been valedictorians, salutatorians, and were from three hours from Springfield. So wow. they were having their fan bases follow us. It just kept building. And then by the time uh, Jackie came in, uh, Tara Mitchum, who had gone to Ohio State and then returned back to us, uh, Carly Deer, Stubblefield, uh, just some really great local talent was on that team and certainly the other personalities, uh, Jackie included, everybody already knew Jackie coming into our program. So um, the crescendo just kept going up. The more we won and the closer Jackie got to every scoring record, really kind of drove all of us crazy. All of the media and all of the attention, including Jackie, it drove her crazy too. Yeah. So yeah. once she broke that national record, we could just go out and play um, because nobody was following those records anymore. And anybody that knows me knows the records are the least important thing that our teams were to concentrate on. We wanted to get a win. Yeah, I think Jackie told me she you guys maybe like hired a bodyguard for her because it, it got so intense with people wanting her autograph and everything. We had a, a gentleman who assisted with our program that had been a police officer. Yeah. He went back to school as a 40 year old and we asked him to be a part of our staff, uh, more like a manager, but I can't think of a better guy to uh, help escort her in. Of course, she would come to a game an hour early and she wasn't being able to shoot because fans, you know, there wasn't, a lot of fans there an hour before the game, but they all felt like they could come down and ask for an autograph and pictures and she wouldn't be able to get her shooting in. So we had Tom, 
um, escort her in. He came early, make sure to keep everybody from her. And then after the game had to do the same thing. Uh, I mean, what a great problem. What a great yeah. problem that so many people wanted her attention. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in the final four, I know you guys, was it after you won in the elite eight where you got back to the Springfield airport and it was just chaos. I'm breathing because it makes me <laughs> tired now. Um <laughs> You know, our our journey was Rutgers, then Spokane, Washington. We literally had fans that couldn't get from Rutgers to Spokane That's driving. Oh, so our travel yeah. schedule was really, really crazy. So once we won um, up there in Washington, we didn't have the option to go right to St. Louis because we were in a plane with all the fans. So we had to come back to Springfield. You know, some programs just go right to the next location and rest. We had to come back to Springfield. And yes, that's when little did we know we're getting back at, I can't remember. I want to say four in the morning. Don't hold me to that. We couldn't get out of the airport. It took us three hours to get our luggage and get out of the airport because we wanted to honor our fans and say thank you. But all of the pictures and, and like one of our players, Melody Campbell was saying, you know, everybody was asked for their autograph, but it wasn't like what Jackie went through. I mean, Jackie signed my shoes, signed my arm, signed, you know. Um, so it was quite the challenge to get to the bus, to get back home, to turn around and practice again. Yeah. I just think what an incredible, you know, from sports not being offered, your mom going to the school board and saying, we need women's basketball, we need girls basketball to that scene at the airport, you know, decades later, I guess, has it sunk in just the significance of, of that moment and of the growth you've seen over the past couple of decades in, in the game? Well, it, it's kind of hitting me when uh, Brenda Van Leggen is doing a, um, a series fun. on basically standing on the shoulders of whom. And uh, when I was able to talk to her and the, the connections because of my age, uh, because I graduated from high school in 76, uh, having a chance to, um, you know, Dr. Mary Jo Wynn was considered the mother of athletics at uh, Southwest Missouri State. Uh, Marlene Mawson, one of my dear professors at the University of Kansas, the mother of all women's athletics at Kansas. I'm directly tied to her. You know, Marion Washington, uh, Jane Schrader, Lynette Woodard, you know, Jackie Stiles, just the connections now that I look at it are just really staggering. Getting to play for Marion Washington, getting to coach with Valerie Goodwin, where Wayland Baptist was such an incredible uh, place. Uh, being able to play the with the players that I uh, played against, the Nancy Liebermans. Um, so yes, now that I look back in history, I mean, what a place to be historically. And then certainly being a mid-major, getting to go to a Final Four twice, uh, leading the nation in women's basketball attendance. Uh, it's really been quite the journey. Yeah, yeah. Man, the the paths you've been able to cross and the path you've led for, you know, the women who follow you is just just incredible. And I guess looking ahead now with the background that you have, where would you like to see the game go from here? 
Well, what I've been thrilled with is, uh, you know, uh, now that you look at our particular program, Missouri State, uh, of course, the name changed, but uh, Kelly Harper uh, taking our program back to a Sweet 16 and now her being at Tennessee and Coach Mox uh, taking it back to another Sweet 16, her now at Virginia, and then just hiring uh, Beth Morgan Cunningham from the great Notre Dame days. Uh, certainly, I'm very pleased with where Missouri State is, but at the same time, um, and we all say this, uh, we still have many steps to take with women's basketball as a whole. That certainly was pointed out uh, a couple years ago with the differences of weight room and some of those kinds of things. We still need to take steps forward. Um, and certainly the WNBA and the numbers of viewers and TV viewers that are now viewing uh, women's soccer, uh, uh, the WNBA, uh, women's basketball at the NCAA level, uh, the, the journey and the challenge is not over. We want it to continue taking the steps uh, in the right direction. Um, and we just need to do that at each individual uh, program as we can. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Brenda's uh, documentary series, another one we should plug, ifnotforthem.com. Uh, it's called If Not For Them. And we would not be here if it were not for you and for all the women you coached with and against. So I thank you for blazing the trail um, for us. And the last question I'd like to close with is this podcast is called Our Stories. So if there is one thing listeners take away from your story, uh, what would you want that to be? Well, I think, again, uh, my age has created just so many incredible, wonderful opportunities. Um, and the if not for them part in my story is very, very important. If it wasn't for Marion Washington, Jane Schrader, um, Dr. Mary Jo Wynn, Dr. Marlene Mawson, and many, 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 many more, um, the story just simply does not happen. The women who fought for Title IX, without Title IX, I would not have been given any of these experiences. Uh, I really think that's just the bottom line, that it is so incredibly true that we now, you now, are taking those steps to support our history, that we can move forward for those young women like you that might not understand yet the importance of Title IX or supporting each other and supporting our history that we need to move forward with. So thank you for keeping these stories alive and for informing your generation of how those opportunities have uh, been pushed forward. So thank you. Well, I could listen to you talk for hours. This has been <laughs> incredible. So thank you so much. Uh, for your time. And I, I sure appreciate you joining the podcast I today. I can't wait to watch you uh, in Kansas City when uh, oh, thank I, you. I get back up in that area. So uh, <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. And enjoy the lake in the meantime. <laughs> thank you so much. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.